Chapter Four, Part Two of Hypatia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Cole, Medway, Massachusetts. Hypatia by Charles Kingsley. Chapter Four, Miriam, Part Two and her peace of mind would certainly not have been improved could she have seen old miriam hurry home with her letter to a dingy house in the jews quarter where it was unsealed read and sealed up again with such marvellous skill that no eye could have detected the change and finally still less would she have been comforted could she have heard the conversation which was going on in a summer-room of Orestes' palace, between that illustrious statesman and Raphael Aben Ezra, who were lying on two divans opposite each other, whiling away, by a throw or two of dice, the anxious moments which delayed her answer. "'Trays again! The devil is in you, Raphael!' "'I always thought he was,' answered Raphael, sweeping up the gold pieces." when will that old witch be back when she has read through your letter and hypatia's answer read them of course you don't fancy she is going to be fool enough to carry a message without knowing what it is don't be angry she won't tell she would give one of those two grave lights there which she calls her eyes to see the thing prosper why your excellency will know when the letter comes here she is I hear steps in the cloister. Now, one bet before they enter. I give you two to one. She asks you to turn pagan. What in? Negro boys? Anything you like. Taken. Come in, slaves. And Hypocorisma entered, pouting. That Jewish fury is outside with the letter, and has the impudence to say she won't let me bring it in. Bring her in, then. Quick. I wonder what I am here for, if people have secrets that I am not to know," grumbled the spoilt youth. "'Do you want a blue ribbon round those white sides of yours, you monkey?' answered Orestes. "'Because if you do, the hippopotamus hide hangs ready outside. Let us make him kneel down here for a couple of hours, and use him as a dice-sport,' said Raphael, as he used to do to the girls in Armenia. "'Ah, you recollect that?' and how the barbarian poppers used to grumble, till I had to crucify one or two, eh? That was something like life. I love those out-of-the-way stations, where nobody asks questions, but here one might as well live among the monks in Nitria. Here comes Canidia. Ah, the answer. Hand it here, my queen of go-betweens. Orestes read it, and his countenance fell. I have won? Out of the room, slaves, and no listening. I have won, then? Orestes tossed the letter across to him, and Raphael read. The immortal gods accept no divided worship, and he who would command the counsels of their prophetess must remember that they will vouchsafe to her no illumination till their lost honours be restored. If he who aspires to be the lord of Africa dare trample on the hateful cross and restore the Caesarium to those for whose worship it was built, if he dare proclaim aloud with his lips, and in his deeds, 
that contempt for novel and barbarous superstitions which his taste and reason have already taught him, then he would prove himself one with whom it were a glory to labour, to dare to die in a great cause. But till then, and so the letter ended. What am I to do? Take her at a word. Good heavens, I shall be excommunicated, and, and, what is to become of my soul? What will become of it in any case, my most excellent lord? answered Raphael blandly. You mean, I know what you cursed Jews think will happen to every one but yourselves. But what would the world say? I an apostate? And in the face of Cyril and the populace? I daren't, I tell you. No one asked your excellency to apostatize. Why what? What did you say just now? I asked you to promise. It will not be the first time that promises before marriage have not exactly coincided with performance afterwards. I daren't, that is, I won't promise. I believe now this is some trap of your Jewish intrigue, just to make me commit myself against those Christians whom you hate. I assure you I despise all mankind far too profoundly to hate them. How disinterested my advice was, when I proposed this match to you, you never will know. Indeed, it would be boastful in me to tell you. But really, you must make a little sacrifice to win this foolish girl. With all the depths and daring of her intellect to help you, you might be a match for Romans, Byzantines, and Goths at once. And as for beauty, why, there is one dimple inside that wrist, just at the setting on of the sweet little hand, worth all the other flesh and blood in Alexandria. By Jove, you admire her so much, I suspect you must be in love with her yourself. Why don't you marry her? I'll make you my Prime Minister, and then we shall have the use of her wits without the trouble of her fancies. By the twelve gods, if you marry her and help me, I'll make you what you like." Raphael rose and bowed to the earth. "'Your serene high mightiness overwhelms me. But I assure you that never having as yet cared for any one's interest but my own, I could not be expected at my time of life to devote myself to that of another, even though it were to yours. Candid? Exactly so. And moreover, whosoever I may marry will be practically, as well as theoretically, my private and peculiar property, you comprehend. Candid again? Exactly so, and waiving the third argument, that she probably might not choose to marry me, I beg to remark that it would not be proper to allow the world to say that I, the subject, had a wiser and fairer wife than you, the ruler, especially a wife who had already refused that ruler's complimentary offer. By Jove! And she has refused me in good earnest. I'll make her repent it. I was a fool to ask her at all. What's the use of having guards if one can't compel what one wants? If fair means can't do it, foul shall. I'll send for her this moment. Most illustrious Majesty, it will not succeed. You do not know that woman's determination. Scourges and red-hot pincers will not shake her alive, and dead she will be of no use whatsoever to you, while she will be of great use to Cyril. How? 
he will be most happy to make the whole story a handle against you. Give out that she died a virgin martyr, in defence of the most holy Catholic and apostolic faith. Get miracles worked at her tomb, and pull your palace about your ears on the strength thereof. Cyril will hear of it anyhow. That's another dilemma into which you have brought me, you intriguing rascal. Why this girl will be boasting all over Alexandria that I have offered her marriage, and that she has done herself the honour to refuse me. She will be much too wise to do anything of the kind. She has sense enough to know that if she did so, you would inform a Christian populace what condition she offered you, and, with all her contempt for the burden of the flesh, she has no mind to be lightened of that pretty load by being torn in pieces by Christian monks. A very probable ending for her in any case, as she herself, in her melancholy moods, confesses. What will you have me do then? Simply nothing. Let the prophetic spirit go out of her, as it will, in a day or two, and then, I know nothing of human nature, if she does not bait a little of her own price. Depend on it, for all her ineffabilities and impassibilities, and all the rest of the seventh heaven moonshine, at which we play here in Alexandria, a throne is far too pretty a bait for even Hypatia the Pythoness to refuse. Leave well alone is a good rule, but leave ill alone is a better. So now another bet before we part, and this time three to one. Do nothing either way, and she sends to you of her own accord, before a month is out. In Caucasian mules, done. Be it so. Well, you are the most charming counsellor for a poor perplexed devil of a prefect. If I had but a private fortune like you, I could just take the money, and let the work do itself. Which is the true method of successful government? Your slave bids you farewell. Do not forget our bet. You dine with me to-morrow. And Raphael bowed himself out. As he left the prefect's door, he saw Miriam on the opposite side of the street, evidently watching for him. As soon as she saw him, she held on her own side, without appearing to notice him, till he turned a corner, and then crossing, caught him eagerly by the arm. "'Does the fool dare? Who dare what? You know what I mean. Do you suppose old Miriam carries letters without taking care to know what is inside them? Will he apostatize? Tell me, I am secret as the grave. The fool has found an old worm-eaten rag of conscience somewhere in the corner of his heart and dare not. Curse the coward! And such a plot as I had laid! I would have swept every Christian dog out of Africa within the year. What is the man afraid of? Hellfire! Why he will go there in any case, the accursed Gentile! So I hinted to him, as delicately as I could, but like the rest of the world, he has a sort of partiality for getting thither by his own road. Coward! And whom shall I get now? Oh, if that Pelagia had as much cunning in her old body as Hypatia has in her little finger! I'd seat her and her goth upon the throne of the Caesars. But she has five senses and just enough wit to use them, eh? 
Don't laugh at her for that, the darling. I do delight in her, after all. It warms even my old blood to see how thoroughly she knows her business, and how she enjoys it, like a true daughter of Eve. She has been your most successful pupil, certainly, mother. You may well be proud of her. The old hag chuckled to herself a while, and then suddenly turning to Raphael. See here, I have a present for you, and she pulled out a magnificent ring. Why, mother, you are always giving me presents. It was but a month ago you sent me this poisoned dagger. Why not, eh, why not? Why should not Jew give to Jew? Take the old woman's ring. What a glorious opal! Ah, that is an opal indeed, and the unspeakable name upon it, just like Solomon's own. Take it, I say. Whosoever wears that, never need fear fire, steel, poison, or woman's eye. Your own included, eh? Take it, I say. And Miriam caught his hand, and forced the ring on his finger. There, now you are safe. And now call me mother again. I like it. I don't know why, but I like it. And Raphael Aben Ezra. Don't laugh at me, and call me witch and hag, as you often do. I don't care about it from anyone else. I'm accustomed to it. But when you do it, I always long to stab you. That's why I gave you the dagger. I used to wear it, and I was afraid I might be tempted to use it some day, when the thought came across me how handsome you look and how quiet, when you were dead, and your soul up there so happy in Abraham's bosom, watching all the Gentiles frying and roasting for ever down below. Don't laugh at me, I say, and don't thwart me. I may make you the Emperor's Prime Minister some day. I can if I choose. Heaven forbid, said Raphael, laughing. Don't laugh. I cast your nativity last night, and I know you have no cause to laugh. A great danger hangs over you and a deep temptation, and if you weather this storm, you may be Chamberlain, Prime Minister, Emperor, if you will. And you shall be. By the four archangels, you shall. And the old woman vanished down a by-lane, leaving Raphael utterly bewildered. Moses and the prophets! Does the old lady intend to marry me? What can there be in this very lazy and selfish personage who bears my name to excite so romantic an affection? Well, Raphael Aben Ezra, thou hast one more friend in the world besides Bran the Mastiff, and therefore one more trouble, seeing that friends always expect a due return of affection and good offices and what not. I wonder whether the old lady has been getting into a scrape kidnapping, and wants my patronage to help her out of it. Three quarters of a mile of roasting sun between me and home. I must hire a gig or a litter or something off the next stand, with a driver who has been eating onions, and of course there is not a stand for the next half mile. O oh, divine ether, as Prometheus had it, and ye swift-winged breezes! I wish there were any here. When will it all be over? Three and thirty years have I endured already of this babel of knaves and fools, and with this abominable good health of mine, which won't even help me with gout or indigestion, I am likely to have three and thirty years more of it. 
I know nothing, and I care for nothing, and I expect nothing, and I actually can't take the trouble to prick a hole in myself, and let the very small amount of wits out, to see something really worth seeing, and try its strength on something really worth doing. If, after all, the other side of the grave does not turn out to be just as stupid as this one, when will it be all over, and I in Abraham's bosom, or any one else's, provided it be not a woman's? End of chapter 4